Okay. Welcome okay. to our Christmas episode. Scissors and scrubs. Scrubs. Trying to get close to the mic because it's apparent that I don't speak very loud. And I'm trying to sit further back because but I'm much louder than you. I'm tired. So I'm. you're going to get what you're going to get and you're not going to get upset. Mm-hmm. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. I'm watching TV the other day. Mm-hmm. Here comes the beautiful Christmas tree down from Nova Scotia. Yeah. To the Prudential Center. We pop it up. Mm-hmm. But nobody really knows why every year we get this lovely tree mm-hmm. from Nova Scotia, mm-hmm. specifically to Boston, Massachusetts. Yes. Today, we are going to discuss why Boston, Massachusetts mm-hmm. gets a lovely tree from Nova Scotia. So, a couple of years ago, I took my family up to Nova Scotia. I know, I really have to go. It is... Stunning. I heard. What a great place. Mm-hmm. And we went to Halifax, mm-hmm. which is a great city in the middle of this beautiful place. Mm-hmm. It's a very undiscovered, like, people don't go up there, they don't think anything of It's beautiful. Yeah. While I was up there, a few things I learned. So Canada sees itself like we like we look at we have northeast we have the south we have mm-hmm. the midwest they have the maritimes newfoundland nova scotia okay. new brunswick mm-hmm. they have the plains mm-hmm. they have the west coast mm-hmm. so it's funny how they talk about themselves so nova scotia is considered the maritimes mm-hmm. um it no halifax great city it's built so if you've ever been to newburyport around here yeah Halifax sits on a river mm-hmm. that leads into an ocean, okay. leads into the Atlantic Ocean. So Halifax is on one side, mm-hmm. Dartmouth is on the other side. The mouth of the river is in between you. It leads into the Atlantic Atlantic. Ocean. Mm-hmm. It's built kind of like San Francisco, so it's hilly. It's uh-huh. very hilly. Mm-hmm. At the very top of the hill is the Citadel. Mm-hmm. So it looks almost like Castle Island, mm-hmm. Fort Warren, and mm-hmm. it's a big fort on the top of the hill. Mm-hmm. All right. It's very European. It's a great city, but everything comes down the hill to the mouth of the river. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm describing this for a for specific reason. reason. Okay. okay. Um, so it's all these beautiful old buildings. It's very European. Clean. It's a wonderful city. Mm-hmm. Unknown fact about Halifax. Mm-hmm. When the Titanic sank... It was the only port that was not frozen in at the time. Mm-hmm. So Halifax became the port that took all of the victims of the... So they were 800 miles from the crash site. Mm-hmm. They sent ships to the part where the Titanic sunk. Mm-hmm. They took the bodies. So they found all the bodies that were still floating. Mm-hmm. They brought them back to Halifax. They had three burial grounds wow. for the Titanic, which sunk in 1912. Mm-hmm. Our story today takes us, not many years later, no. to 1917. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they're still reeling from yes. the Titanic, mm-hmm. which people a hundred years later are still reeling from. And we are going to take us to 1917. Yes. Okay. So I have described to you Halifax. Mm-hmm. I so have it in my mind. You have Halifax coming down the hill from the Citadel mm-hmm. on one side of this river. You have Dartmouth 
on the other side of the mm -hmm. river. Coming up the river, you're going to have a Pier 6, which we're going to talk about later yeah. on. Okay, Pier 6 is hanging out there. At this time, there's about 65,000 people living between Dartmouth and Halifax. Huh? It's December 1917. Mm -hmm. We are in the grips of World War I. Mm -hmm. Now, the United States isn't where Halifax is because Halifax is Canadian, but they're still under control of England. England. Mm -hmm. So the Royal Navy has set up shop at Halifax. Mm -hmm. It has set its North American base in Halifax. Mm -hmm. Okay? So um, it's a prime port mm -hmm. for Halifax because they can bring all of their trade and everything through Canada mm -hmm. and not have to worry about anything going on in Europe. All right. So, it's 1917, the Royal Navy adopts the Halifax port as its base for the North American operations, and it is a very busy port, mm -hmm. okay? It's also a hospital port, where okay. they bring all the wounded soldiers from World War I to there. They are terrified of the threat of the German U-boat. Mm -hmm. So, at the mouth of the port, they have these gates, these chains that come up. Okay. And they go underwater, and it keeps the U-boats from coming in. So they okay. set these chains up every night. They bring them down every morning so they can use the port. And at night, the chains go back up. Okay. Can you even imagine all that? No, no. I can't. I can't. But this is what they're doing right. because they're worried that the U-boats are going to come in. So mm -hmm. if you get to this port mm -hmm. after, say, 730 at night, you're not getting in to Halifax until to the next morning. You have to sit out in the harbor okay. until they lower the gates the next morning. Okay, so, and a lot of people don't want to do this because now they're worried that the German U-boats, which were was a real threat, they're out in the port, mm -hmm. they, they could blow you up. So it's December 3rd, 1917, and there's a Belgium ship called the Emo under the command of, I love these names, Haken Fromm. <laughs> he sails into Halifax Harbor. Mm -hmm. This is like a merchant ship, it's like a fishing ship, it's not... Anything big. Nothing to do with the war. Nothing to do with the mm -hmm. war. The emo has been given clearance to leave the morning of December 5th, but they don't have enough coal on. It's taking forever to load the coal. So they complete it after the, these nets have gone up for the night. So they have to sit another night in the harbor. Um, and they're waiting. So it's going to be December 6th before they can leave the harbor, okay. even though, because they were waiting. All right. So the emo, it has a gross tonnage of 5,000 43 tons. It has a crew of 39 and it's carrying coal and fish. So late on December 5th, the Mont Blanc mm -hmm. arrives from New York under the command of Amy Lemedic. We're okay. just going to call him Amy because I like the name. Amy. Yeah. Okay, so he gets there late on the 5th. The gates are up. He can't get in. Okay. Now the Mont Blanc um, it arrives after the nets are up, so it's forced to stay out in the harbor. And it doesn't like this because it is carrying 226,797 kilograms of TNT. Jesus. It's also carrying 1,602,519 uh, kilograms of wet picric acid. Which is made for explosives. Doesn't sound good. It's carrying 544,311 kilograms of dry picric acid. Yuck. 
56,301 kilograms of gin cotton, mm-hmm. and 223,188 kilograms of benzol. All of these are used the to make... The big fireball. It is one big fucking piece of dynamite. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't want to hang out no. open water, because yeah. if the U-boats hit it, you're fucking done. Yeah. Okay? It has a crew of 41 crew members Oof. who only speak French. Mm-hmm. So... When you get to Canada, most of Canada is run by the British. Mm-hmm. You got this weird little shit of Montreal and Quebec, which is only French speaking. Right. All of Qu- of Canada does not speak French. Right. Only the French province speaks French. Mm-hmm. So nobody in Halifax speaks French. Mm-hmm. Key point <laughs> later in the story. Okay. So all of the materials... On this ship are used to make explosives. Uh-huh. It's making the Mont Blanc very uneasy being outside with the U-boats patrolling. I think I'd want to cry. Before the war, this ship would never have been allowed in the harbor. But mm-hmm. because of the war, they've relaxed all of their um, regulations. The Mont Blanc will be allowed in, carrying this because they have to make these bombs. Uh-huh. Okay? All right. December 6th, 1917. Uh-huh. 7.30 a.m. Okay. The Halifax, so you have harbor pilots. When you are coming into an unknown harbor, a person, like when we were on our ship to Bermuda, a harbor pilot from Bermuda gets on the cruise ship. He guides the ship in. He's on the outside ship telling them how the harbor runs. Okay. So you have a, har- a Halifax harbor pilot, William Hayes. He's on board the EMU to guide her out of the harbor. So she's been sitting in the harbor all night. Mm-hmm. She wants to leave. Mm-hmm. She's got William Hayes on board. They're going to go out. So as she's going out, she is coming up to the SS Clara. And she's on the wrong side of the Clara. Boop, boop, boop. They agree to pass on the starboard side, which mm-hmm. I believe is the right side because port is left. Yes. So there's four letters. Okay. Probably somebody will write in and tell me I'm wrong, but I think Port is left. No, port okay. is left. So they agreed to pass on the, the starboard side. So this puts the emu kind of on the wrong side to begin with. Uh-huh. All right. So as it's further going out in trying to get out of the port, um, it's passing again closer to the Dartmouth side of the harbor. Mm-hmm. It's now going to pass the Stella Maris. The captain of the Stella Maris sees that the emu is passing at excessive speed. And he moves even farther aside to let the emu pass, but it's going really down the wrong side of the path. Mm -hmm. Okay? So the night before, December 5th, when you've got the Mont Blanc out in the harbor, Mm -hmm. they have a pilot, the Halifax pilot, Francis Mackey. He gets on board the Mont Blanc. He's going to help it in. He's like, do you guys have any special precautions because you guys are really explosive? And they're like, nope, (laughs) we're good. He's like, are you sure you got nothing? He's like, nope, we're good. Okay. So he's a little uneasy about that, but they wait the night. Nothing happens. December 6th, morning of 7.30, the month, the gates go down. The Mont Blanc's going to start coming in to unload its crap. And it's coming in on the Dartmouth side, as it should, because it's coming into right, the harbor. The so everybody side. else coming out should be going out on the Halifax side. So Mackie sees the emo, and he's about like 0.75 mile, uh, Three quarters of a mile away. Mm-hmm. And he's concerned because he can see the emus coming too close mm-hmm. to the ship. 
and it's probably going to cut off the Mont Blanc. So Mackie, huh, 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 he blasts the emu, <laughs> let him know that he's got the right of way. The emu blasts back, huh, huh, which means fuck off in their language. Yeah. We're not moving. So the captain orders the Mont Blanc to cut the engines and kind of angle away, starboard. He again blows his horn to the emu. Huh, 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 get the fuck out of the way. Mm -hmm. Emu blasts back. Bump, bump, bump. We're not moving out of the fucking way. Mm -hmm. Now they're getting really close to each other. And at this point, both ships have cut the engines, trying to hope to avoid a collision. Mm -hmm. Okay. At the last moment, the Mont Blanc is like, cut the ship to get it out of the way. And at the same time, he's cutting the ship to try to cut it across the emu cuts the engines puts it in reverse they collide okay so it causes the emu to swing right into the mont blanc at 8 45 a.m okay page flip all right the mont blanc damage it's not severe but a couple of the barrels of the benzo break and they open up on the deck so now the decks are flooded with this benzo all right so the emu is trying to get off of the Mont Blanc, kicks its engines in, <gasps> and it tries to untangle. And when it does that, as the ships separate, they start sparks. Sparking. The sparks ignite Ugh. the benzo fumes. Ugh. So along the water, up the hull, onto the ship, it ignites the Mont Blanc. Mm-hmm. The worst fucking case scenario yes. you could imagine mm-hmm. has now happened in Halifax Harbor. Mm-hmm. The fire quickly engulfs the ship, and the captain orders the Mont Blanc crew to abandon mm-hmm. ship, and they jump into the water. Mm-hmm. They only speak French in an English port, mm-hmm. okay? So, meantime, the collision and the fire, it's attracting all of the people from Halifax and Dartmouth. They want to come down and see what mm-hmm. the fuck's going on at the shore. So right. everybody's hanging out the windows to watch this explosion, Everybody's on the shores. They're mm-hmm. all watching what's going on. Nobody knows the cargo that the Mont Blanc right. was carrying. The crew from the Mont Blanc, they're yelling at everybody to back up, but nobody speaks French. At one point, when we were when we went to Halifax, we went to the museum, and they're telling us a story. One of the French sailors lands in Dartmouth. He gets off the he swims to shore, and he grabs this woman's baby, and he runs. Because she couldn't understand what he was saying. So she'd follow him. She followed him away Mm because he's trying to tell her, you're going to die if Mm -hmm. you stay here. So he ran with the baby and she followed him. Um, The abandoned Mont Blanc is drifting towards this Pier 6. And it's on fire. It's a big plume of smoke. Everybody's like, holy shit, look what's going on in the harbor, blah, blah, blah. Okay. The Stella Maris, who they had just passed, the Emu had just passed... Responds immediately. And they're trying to hose down mm-hmm. the Mont Blanc. They pretty much realize immediately that there's no help. You can't hose this down. And they back off. Mm-hmm. Nine o'clock in the morning. Four minutes, 35 seconds. The Mont Blanc. Boop! Goes oh up. God. It fucking Blows. explodes. Mm-hmm. Okay? The ship is immediately blown apart. And it sends a blast wave at 3,300 feet per second. So this, it's like an atomic bomb. It's just this blast wave is hitting hundreds of feet Mm -hmm. within seconds. Mm -hmm. 
At the center of the explosion, the heat reaches 9,000 oh degrees Fahrenheit. Okay? You're fucked if you're there. Mm-hmm. White hot shards of iron fall down on Halifax and Darmot. The Mont Blanc, its forward gun, lands three miles away <gasps> from where this explosion happened. The anchor lands two miles away in the opposite the direction. The anchor. The anchor. An 11,000-foot cloud of white smoke rises into the sky. Oh, my God. The shock wave was felt up to 130 miles away. Mm-hmm. So if you've ever been to Nova Scotia, Halifax is at the bottom end of Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Cape Breton is at the top end of Nova Cape Breton, 130 miles away, feels the explosion. Yeah. They People off of the coast of Boston say they felt the explosion. Mm-hmm. Over four, the shock wave, yeah, I said that was, okay. Over 400 acres is destroyed in a second. Oh my God. All right. So the, all the hill up to the citadel annihilated. Like every building facing that harbor, gone, not even crumpled, gone. Like you've never seen it again. Mm -hmm. The citadel is still standing, but it's up on a hill and the walls were able to save it. Anything under that, gone. Decimated. It left a 60-foot tsunami that carried the emo ship into the Dartmouth harbor. Like, it landed on the Dartmouth side. It's so powerful that the ocean floor of the harbor is exposed for a brief moment because of the way... Yeah. So the water explodes so much, you you can can see see the the bottom of the ocean. Oh, my God. Yeah. A, so the 60-foot tsunami, it carries the emu onto the Dartmouth side. The blast killed all but one on the emu. I don't know how that one fucker lived, but he lives. 21 of the 26 on the Stella Maris are killed. Oh, my God. Almost all of the Mont Blanc crew survived except for one because the captain they said, get the Halati, and they ran. Okay? Over 1,600 people are killed instantaneously. <gasps> And 9,000 are injured, 300 of whom died later. Oh, my God. Every building within a mile and a half is completely destroyed. And when you see the pictures Mm -hmm. of Halifax, Mm -hmm. when you know, like, so picture Boston, Mm -hmm. nothing left. Yeah. Flattened. Yeah. Nothing left. No leaves on the tree. There's not even a tree left to have leaves on it. Mm -hmm. Flattened. Okay? Hundreds who are watching this fire because everybody's drawn to the they're blinded by the Mm -hmm. glass that shatters in front of them so Mm -hmm. hundreds of people are blinded the stoves and lamps that are overturned by the blast start many fires Mm -hmm. the north end of halifax entire city blacks blocks blacks are on fire Mm -hmm. because of all of these um things yep one survivor billy wells he's a firefighter who has had the blast was so strong it blew his clothes off so this, this bastard's naked He's just out there naked in the middle of the... Yep. He's naked. He describes the scene. Page flip again. Okay. He says, The sight was awful, with people hanging out of windows dead, some with their heads missing, and some thrown into the overhead wires. He is the only member of an eight-man fire crew to survive. Oh, my God. Yep. Factories near the explosion become... unrecognizable heaps of metal killing most of the workers inside so 
as the Mont Blanc has expl- uh, is on fire, it's landing near this Pier 6, mm-hmm. which has all these factories and everything on it. Mm-hmm. It explodes right near Pier 6. These massive factories become heaps of metal. Nobody even knows oh. what was left. They just, it killed everybody in them. Oh, my God. So the railway, the railway station, so when you go to Halifax, if you're standing at the mouth of the river and you look back, you see all these railway stations. They are destroyed. They kill 55 workers and they destroy 500 railway cars. Mm. The death toll would have been worse if it weren't for Patrick Vincent Coleman. Mm. He and his co-worker knew. So they're in the, the railway station. A fleeing French sailor comes by and somehow they're able to communicate. He tells them what the cargo is and that this ship's going to mm-hmm. explode. So they start to run and Coleman's like, fuck, I can't do this. So he runs back and he remembers that this passenger trains due to come into Halifax. He returns to his post alone and he sends out an urgent message to all of the trains. Don't come into Halifax. We're going to explode. This mm-hmm. is the message he puts out. Hold up the train. Ammunition ships a fire in the harbor making for Pier 6 and will explode. Guess this will be my last message. <gasps> Goodbye, boys. He is responsible for stopping all incoming trains coming into Halifax. He's killed at his post when the explosion happens. Oh, my God. That is the actual explosion of Halifax, which you go up there today Mm -hmm. and they act like it's still, like it happened yesterday. Yeah. It's unfucking believable. That's unreal. And you're going to hear why. Mm-hmm. Boston is the reason we get this tree. Right. Laura Sparkles is going to talk to us about what happens after the explosion. Yes. I'm going to talk about the Halifax explosion response. So, there's a cryptic telegraph from George Graham to J.J. Fallon. George and J.J. both worked for the investment banking firm Hornblow- Hornblower and Weeks. George in Halifax, J.J. is in Boston. The telegraph said, quote, organize a relief train and send word to Wolfville and Windsor to round up all doctors, nurses, and Red Cross supplies possible to obtain. Not time to explain details, but list of casualties is enormous, end quote. So this J.J. Fallon in Boston gets this telegraph. That's that all we know. shit's hitting the fan yeah. in Halifax. J.J. Fallon was a very hard worker and had risen from clerk to partner because of it. Earlier that year, the governor of Massachusetts, Samuel McCall, had formed a committee on public safety, which Fallon served on. Um, On the morning of December 6th, Fallon was at the state house for a meeting of the public safety committee. That is where the news of the telegraph reached him. Fallon, who's a Republican, rushes to McCall's office. He's a Democrat. McCall's a Democrat. And tells him of the telegraph. They were not natural allies. They did not like each other. So even back then, it didn't matter. Even back then. This guy, J.J. Fallon's Republican, McCall the governor is a Democrat. They need each other. You have to work together. Yes. Um, That's how it should happen. Yes. Not not to get political, but right. you gotta work together. Um, so he rushes to McCall's office and tells him of the telegraph. Um, both flew into action together. Well, that's nice. Yep. McCall... Um, Tries to get more info by reaching out to friends in D.C. All they know is there was some kind of um, fire or explosion in Halifax. That's all they know. Um, McCall sends a telegraph to the mayor of Halifax that says, quote, Understand that your city in danger from explosion 
in conflagration, reports only fragmentary, mass ready, Massachusetts, ready to go the limit in rendering every assistance you may be in need of. Wire me back immediately. So he has no idea what's happened. Just some sort of explosion. He's like, we're ready. Let's go. What do you need? End quote. Um, But because of the destruction, most wires are down. And the Canadian government takes over the ones that are left. So he's messaging back to this mayor. And nobody's talking. No one is answering him because the Canadian government has now taken the only remaining lines. So McCall gets the public safety committee together. 100 men from industry um, that form this committee. The committee reaches out to banks, the railroads, and the universities. Harvard empties its med school. It also sent the Harvard Hospital Unit, which was designed for European deployment. So, like you said, we're in World War One. Right. So Harvard right. Med School had just um, made this unit, this hospital unit, to go overseas mm-hmm. for deployment. Um, it was a 500-bed hospital. It was the only unit to arrive in Halifax with its own complete nursing staff of 65 women and five men. Um, with the help of the Red Cross, Harvard packed up portable surgical suites. So they have whole surgical units going mm-hmm. up to this thing. Um, nurses were recruited from Boston hospitals. Cash was assembled from the banks. The head of Boston and Maine Railroad promised a train that they could fill that day. So the point being here, Boston is the first one to respond. Immediately, without mm-hmm. knowing what was going on. Yep. Boston responded and said, whatever you need, we're getting it. They have no idea what's happening up mm-hmm. there. Um. So the first relief train had doctors, surgeons, nurses, anesthetists, and an ophthalmologist on it from Boston. Which is key because everybody's blinded everybody's by blind. the goddamn glass. Um, it left from Boston. It left North Station at 10.17 p.m., less than 12 hours after the cryptic tele- telegraph was received. It was no further word from Halifax. They never heard another word and sent all this up. Um, of course... Um, what is a disaster without more of a disaster, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's always a perfect storm when yes. there's a disaster. Yes. So the train didn't reach Halifax until 7 a.m. on December 8th. Two days after this yes. accident. Because there's a blizzard. Ugh. So it stops the line. So everybody has to shovel out the railway, mm-hmm. railways so they can go. So they finally get there and set up shop. Halifax had four public, four military, and seven private hospitals in 1917. Some had only a few dozen beds, and some had, like, 200 beds. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were all overflowing when relief arrived. Um, they had set up temporary hospitals at the YMCA, Halifax Ladies College, and the Academy of Music. So these are all temporary hospitals that these we immediately set up in Halifax before these people even got there from Boston. The morgue was set up at an elementary school. Um, all of the volunteers coming in were put up in people's homes. So these people all came in from Boston, all these mm-hmm. 65 women nurses, five men, you know, and then all these surgeons and stuff. They just stayed in people's houses. Which is weird. All around there. But there was nowhere to stay. Right. So these people just took them in. Right. Um, within less than a day after the train's arrival, a fully equipped hospital was up and running in a former military officer's home. Wow. So they had a full hospital running within a day. Um, on December 9th, after the second train from Boston arrived... Halifax said it had enough doctors and clothing for its immediate needs. Relief contributions from Massachusetts was estimated at $1 million. Wow. Back in Boston, the Public Safety Committee was still working to help. 
they assembled a workforce. Um, they assembled a warehouse full of supplies to rebuild Halifax. They sent lumber, furniture, kitchen goods, food, bedding. They sent it by ship and had a like a store set up and running in Halifax within weeks for displaced families to come and take what they needed. Wow. Like, so they just sent all this yeah. stuff by ship, by train, however they could get up there and just gave it to people, whoever needed it. Um, Abraham, I'm not going to say this poor man's name, <laughs> Raskeski was the leader of the Massachusetts relief effort in Halifax, by the way, he should be commended. Um, they built temporary housing as well. Because and you got to realize like, these people, there was no, there was no homes left, and right. it is December in Canada. Yeah. So these people from Boston, they built these um, temporary housing, and Halifax named them then after the Governor McCall, and he they were called the Governor McCall Apartments, and named the new street that they built Massachusetts Avenue. Oh, mm-hmm. Miss um, Lauder Rand of the Massachusetts Commission for the Blind was invited to Halifax for three months, and it was paid for by the Red Cross. To direct further education, training, and follow-up care for all the newly blinded people. And if you're curious about the Red Cross, listen to our mm-hmm. Veterans Day Previous. episode with mm-hmm. Laura Barton. Mm-hmm. Um, when Americans returned home from Halifax, they formed the Halifax Mass- Massachusetts Relief Association. And they worked with the Nova Scotia government for the next five years to better the lives of survivors it. in Halifax. I believe it. Um, New York and D.C. also worked... Um, sent trains to Halifax. New York sent 20 engineers, doctors, nurses, $15,000 worth of tools, $50,000 worth of lumber, 1,000 portable houses, and 30,000 pounds of bandages. Mm-hmm. Um, Australia sent $250,000. Chicago sent $125,000. Ontario sent $100,000. The UK sent $1 million. London itself sent 600000 The British Red Cross sent... 125000 and King George V himself sent $5,000. $5,000. Well, from himself. Bullshit. It's uh. his colony. <laughs> Bullshit. The Halifax Relief Commission was sworn in on January 22nd, 1918. It was divided into four areas. Rehab, reconstruction, medical, and finance. It remained in operation until 1976. I believe it. Um, a claims department was set up to handle the 15,000 claims for clothing and furnishings worth less than $100. So these people were just putting in claims for $100, you know, 50 bucks. Something. Just give me something. Yeah. There were 328 streets in Halifax. Claims were submitted from 229 of them. Mm-hmm. It was decimated. Yeah. There was nothing left. The claimants had 10 minutes to plead their case and were immediately given checks after the decision was made. So they would go into this little committee, Mm -hmm. say, you know, oh, my house was torn down. I have no clothes left. And they'd give them a hundred bucks or whatever. Um, There was an orphan committee to deal with 500 children. 70 kids lost both parents. 120 lost their moms. And of those, only nine had dads in Halifax. Wow. The other 111 were serving overseas. Wow. Because we're in World War One. Yep. 80 lost their dads in Halifax. Um, so as thanks, Halifax has sent Boston a Christmas tree every year. It signifies their appreciation of the people of Boston responding so swiftly and completely, despite the limited knowledge of what had happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I got that information from HalifaxToday.com, Boston.com, New England Historical Society.com. Wikipedia. So every year, 
we get this massive, huge, huge, mm-hmm. beautiful goddamn Christmas mm-hmm. tree that comes in. Mm-hmm. So when I went up there, I'm telling you, it, they talk about this explosion like it happened mm-hmm. yesterday. And the fact that they still thank us yeah. 102, 103 years later mm-hmm. for what we did mm-hmm. says a lot. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, um, you do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. I have a couple of facts. I can't wait. About, it's only four. <laughs> so the Halifax explosion was the largest man-made explosion prior to the atomic bomb. Wow. Yes. There is a Halifax explosion book of remembrance on display at the Maritime Museum of the Atlantic which I've been to. It contains the names, ages, residential addresses at the time of the explosion and the burial location of all 1,951 people lost in the explosion. 1,951. The Chibucto Road School, and now the Maritime Conservatory of Performing Arts, served as the main mortuary for victims of the Halifax explosion. Mm -hmm. The morgue operated in the basement of the building while the classrooms were used as offices for the coroners. The system used to number and describe the bodies was modeled at the identification process used to identify the Titanic victims. While there has never been a complete tally done on the financial cost of the Halifax explosion, 35 million USD, I guess that's US American dollars, in 1917 rates is commonly used as the total. The estimate includes losses to government, shipping and railways, houses, churches, manufacturing plants, and inventories and personal belongings. And that is the Halifax explosion. It's crazy. It is crazy. Yeah. And if you ever get the opportunity mm-hmm. to go, go to Nova Scotia, it is a hidden gem. Mm-hmm. It is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Halifax is clean and gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Doesn't have a Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> kind of pissed me off. All they have is this weird Tom something can't even think of the name of the coffee they have, but it's hmm. like Tom Arnold's. I don't know. It's some weird coffee. They don't serve iced tea. Tom, Par- Horton's. Tom Horton. Tom Horton. Tim Horton. Tim Horton. <laughs> Tim Horton. They don't serve iced tea. No Apparently, iced, iced tea? tea. Yeah, it's not a thing in Canada. Well, <laughs> Canada, your friends to the north get some fucking iced tea. All right. Mm, it's not. It's pleasant. I don't want a Christmas tree. I want iced tea. I want iced tea on every province. I want it in the plains. I want it in the Maritimes. I want it on the West Coast. I want iced tea. Mm-hmm. All right. Get a couple of Dunkin' Donuts up mm-hmm. there and call it a day. Mm-hmm. So I was jonesing for iced tea the whole time I was up there. But Nova Scotia is a great place. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Would go back in a second. Would buy property up there. Absolutely stunning. Clean. Beautiful. Thank you for our Christmas tree. Yes. Even though you have no iced tea. Thank it's you for beautiful. the Christmas tree. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Every year it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. So that is why you see that gorgeous tree at the Prudential mm-hmm. every year, in case mm-hmm. you didn't know. Mm-hmm. And again, we love to hear from you. Yes. This is coming up on the anniversary of the explosion. This mm-hmm. episode will come out um, a couple of days before the anniversary of mm-hmm. the explosion. Uh, tell us what you think. Mm-hmm. Send us ideas. Mm-hmm. Give us a couple of emails. Mm-hmm. Send me a little review. I like to read them. That's my Christmas gift. I mean, come on. Good. I like, yeah, don't yeah. send me any bad crap. <laughs> All right. I don't care about your crap. I don't care what you really, if you don't like us. I only yeah, care I mean, just like keep it. that to yourself. Yeah. yeah. Nobody needs that kind of negativity. No. It says 2020 for God's Come sense. on. Seriously. <laughs> um, COVID's killed me enough. 
So have a wonderful holiday season. Merry Christmas. And um, enjoy our podcast. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Like, subscribe, rate, and review the Scissors and Scrubs podcast on whatever podcast app you listen to us on. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Scissors and Scrubs. And email us any of your stories or thoughts to scissorsandscrubs at gmail.com.